Good morning. Welcome, welcome. Good to see you this morning. Glad that you are here. Jimmy, I know exactly, I don't know where Jimmy went, but I know exactly what he was talking about with uh, the font and being able to see, so I'm going to put my glasses on. Um, I want to begin this morning with a question, and it's a question I think sort of follows up last week's lesson. John Magnuson was with us last week from Murfreesboro and shared some thoughts about discipleship. Also a question that follows up a little bit some of the things that I've been talking about as well. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty simple question. It's, it's not a raise your hand kind of question, so you can relax. Just kind of a question to think about. How many of you have ever been frustrated because you felt like you didn't have a question or a situation explained very well? Anybody ever fit in that category? You have a question, something's going on, and you feel like the explanation you got wasn't very good, or wasn't sufficient, or you call tech support, <laughs> and when you hang up the phone, you think, it didn't help me in any way, or you talk to a professional, maybe a lawyer or a, a doctor, and you didn't get an answer that you thought was sufficient for the situation that you found yourself in, or maybe you're still in school and you ask a teacher a question, and after they explain it, you're like, it doesn't help me at all. Or your parents tell you to do something, and you ask why, and they say, because I said so. Which is such, which is such a terrible answer, right? Such a meaningless answer. I have used it hundreds of times in my life. I told my kids that all the time, but really, it's, it's a lame answer to give your kids, because I said so. How many of you have ever been frustrated by the answer you received when you asked what you thought was a legitimate question? And of course, we all have, right? I had you at tech support, right? We all have been in this situation. Somebody's breaking up with you, and they say, you, you ask why, and they say, well, it's, it's, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> what does that even mean? What it means is it's you. Now, that's what it means, of course. Um, yeah, I'll give you a more serious scenario. You or someone you love gets a very serious diagnosis, and it shakes you to the core, and you just sort of shake your head and say, why? Why is this happening? And someone says, well, everything happens for a reason. And you're thinking, what could possibly be the reason for this? Or someone says, well, God doesn't give you anything that you can't handle. And you're thinking, well, that's already not true, because I can't handle this. It is frustrating to get a bad answer to what you think is a good question. This morning, I'm going to ask you what I think is a good question, and I'm going to try and give you a good answer as well. And it's a question I think on some level all of us at some time have struggled with. Here it is. Here's the question. Pretty simple. Is following Jesus worth it? We talk about following Jesus all the time. Is it really worth it? Because the reality is, whoever you are, and wherever you might be on your spiritual path, your spiritual journey, there are going to be times when following Jesus is hard. And it's going to cost you something. 
know, maybe you've discovered that there are times when following Jesus makes you unpopular with coworkers, with friends. You get in conversations about things that you do, things that you, you won't do. Following Jesus sometimes costs you friendships. It costs you maybe some social status. Maybe you've discovered that following Jesus sometimes is just difficult. Now, you get the sense that God wants you to, to do a certain thing. You're, God is nudging you in a certain direction, and you're thinking, I really don't want to do that. I do not want to be nudged in that direction. His command to love others when it runs up against your selfishness, and your anger. Or when he calls us to be generous and it runs up against your bank account. Or when he calls us to be morally pure and it runs up against your lust. You know, there are times when it would just be easier to not be a follower of Jesus. Or maybe you've discovered that being a follower of Jesus is a little bit risky. Again, you kind of have a path lined up for your life. You have a vision of what your life is going to be, and then God is sort of directing you in a different direction, and you're thinking, hmm, I don't know. I'm not sure I want to give up that control. This seems kind of risky to me. I think we all would agree there are times when following Jesus has been a little bit inconvenient. Following Jesus is going to cost you something. And so we ask ourselves, is it worth it? Is it worth it for me to follow Jesus? And by the way, we ask that question about everything else. Any kind of new adventure that we're beginning to, to, to go into, any kind, you know, a new job, a new relationship, a friendship, anything that we are kind of dealing with something new or different or a big decision in our lives, we ask that same question, is it worth it? And what we're really asking when we say, is it worth it, is, what's in it for me? That's what we're asking, right? Am I going to get out of this thing what I put into this thing? What exactly is the return on investment here for me? That's what I want to know. Am I going to get out of this Jesus thing what I put into it? I did a little research this past week. In 1980 when uh, Apple stock went public, if you would have invested $10,000 in Apple in 1980, that stock today would have been worth $6.7 million. Would it have been worth it? Absolutely. Did any of us do it? Absolutely not. I didn't have $10,000 in 1980. But even if I had had that money, I wouldn't have known to invest it in the Apple stock. But boy, it would have been worth it, wouldn't it? If I told you today, you give me $10,000, I guarantee I will turn it into $6.7 million, I'm going to guess that you would somehow scrape up $10,000. You would make whatever sacrifice you had to make. You, you, would, you would rearrange your life in such a way that you somehow came up with $10,000 if you knew I could turn it into $6.7 million. Because we would all agree that is something tangible. We would all agree that would be worth it. But when it comes to our faith, is it worth it to follow Jesus? Is it worth it to be all in when it comes to following Jesus? I mean, some of you are here this morning and you're singing, and you're listening, and you're praying, and you're, you're sharing in communion. 
But you're a little bit on the fence about this whole thing. Now, sometimes you're in, sometimes you're out. If you're one person on Friday night, maybe you act a little bit different on Sunday morning. Not exactly sure if it's worth it. I said that I was going to try to answer that question this morning. What I really want to do is allow Scripture to answer that question this morning. And I want to do that by first turning to a really familiar passage. It's Matthew chapter 16. You can go ahead and be turning in your Bible to Matthew 16. It's a pivotal time in Jesus' ministry. He has been teaching these amazing lessons. He has been performing these amazing miracles. And he is about to transition a little bit. He's about to start sharing specifics of God's purpose for his life. And the transition actually involves a question. He's with his disciples and he asks them this question. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Which sounds a little bit like a question some junior high kids would ask each other, right? What are people saying about me? And the disciples tell Jesus, well, some people say you're John the Baptist. And some say you're Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked them, well, who do you say that I am? And of course, we know that it's Peter who speaks up, speaking for himself in the group, and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus, in effect, tells Peter, that's a good answer. And you're exactly right, because that's exactly who I am. And at this point, Jesus starts to pull the curtain back just a little bit. And he starts to reveal to these disciples just exactly what is coming and what his path consists of. And they begin to realize that the path that, uh, that Jesus is on wasn't exactly what they thought it might be. It might not exactly be what they had in mind. Matthew notes there's a shift in how Jesus begins talking to his disciples. Look at verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Now I want you to hear that verse the way they would have heard those teachings of Jesus in the first century. Now Jesus is telling them terrible things are coming. Terrible things are coming. We're going to go to Jerusalem. And bad things are going to happen. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be taken. I'm going to be killed. Three days later, I'm coming back to life. You know, that'd be a little bit like uh, your boss getting your company all together and say, here's, the, here's our company plan. We're going to go to Tampa, and the wheels are going to come off this thing. Okay, our stock is going to plummet. We're all going to be charged with, uh, you know, illegal trading. The board is going to resign. I'm going to be arrested. You're all going to lose your jobs. Let's go. That's the plan. Who's in? This is basically what Jesus is telling them. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be killed. And, of course, Peter, he's not having any of it. But Peter took him aside and corrected him. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. 
Side note, this has nothing to do with the sermon. It's never a good thing to correct the Son of God. Okay? And yet we understand Peter's response, right? I get Peter. Peter says, wait a minute, no, no. Not with the, not with the kind of traction that we've got going. Not with the kind of miracles that you've been performing. Not with the kind of excitement that you've been generating. Not with the kind of crowds you've been att- attracting. This is not going to happen to you, Jesus. You're going to have to change your plan. I'm not going to allow that to happen. And of course, Jesus' response to Peter is um, pretty intense. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. What Jesus is telling Peter is, listen, Peter, God is up to something here. And you're getting in the way. Trust me, God is doing something here, Peter, and you're getting in the way. God's plan, which he's had since the beginning of time, is about to unfold. And you're not helping that plan right now. If God has a plan for my life, I don't want 25% of that plan. I don't want 50% of that. I want 100% of God's plan for my life, don't you? I mean, I want to be all in on God's plan for my life. Jesus understood God's plan for his life. Jesus is all in on God's plan for his life. So Jesus turns toward Jerusalem. He allows himself to suffer. He allows himself to be arrested. He allows himself to be crucified for you and for me. But before he does that, he makes sure that Peter and those other disciples, and and I think us, he makes sure that we all have a reason to go all in. You know, we think, boy, Jesus is really hard on Peter here. He is really being harsh. He is really coming down on Peter. He's letting him have it. Listen, Jesus loved Peter. He loved Peter. And I don't think Jesus' response to Peter was to embarrass him. I don't think Jesus is trying to humiliate Peter here. I think he's trying to teach Peter something. And I think he's trying to teach Peter how to be a better follower. There's a better answer to the question, is it worth it? Jesus gives Peter and the boys a principle. And the principle is just as important to us as it was to them. And it's a principle that I think will sort of determine the trajectory of our faith and the trajectory of our relationship with Jesus as we think about this question, is it worth it? Listen to what Jesus says in verse 24. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must put aside your selfish ambition, shoulder your cross, and follow me. Jesus said, if you want to be my follower, put aside your selfish ambition. Give up your own way, one translation says. Shoulder your cross. Pick up your cross. Follow me. Now remember, we know what happens in this story. We know what's coming for Jesus. We know the rest of the story. They don't. We read Scripture through 
21st century Western eyes. And we know what's going to happen. They didn't. We know exactly what takes place in Jerusalem. We know about the arrest. We know about the trial. We know about the flogging that Jesus endured. We know about the crown of thorns. We know that he carried his cross as far as he could. We know about the nails that were, that were hammered into his feet, into his hands. We know about that spear that pierced his side. We know all of that. They didn't. But when Jesus makes this statement about you to take up your cross, shoulder your cross, he's talking to them. He's not talking about himself. He's talking about us. And he's not sugarcoating anything. He's letting us know exactly what to expect. And Jesus is telling them, he's telling us, if you're going to go all in, there are going to be times when it's going to be hard. And if you're going to go all in, you need to know right up front, it will cost you something. Which, of course, brings us right back to the question, so why should I follow Jesus? If it's going to be hard, and if it's going to cost me something, why would I follow Jesus? Or why can't I partially follow Jesus? Why can't I pick and choose the parts of Jesus' teaching and life and example that I want to follow? A lot of people do. Let me back up and take another pass at something Jesus said. Back up to verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must put aside your selfish ambition, shoulder your cross, and follow me. And then he says this, and this is so important. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find true life. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you'll lose it. The things that you do, the things that you value, the things that are your agenda and priority, if you try to keep all that for yourself, you're going to lose your life. But if you give up your life for me, you will find true life. And this is where an awful lot of people start to pump the brakes a little bit. This is where a lot of people start to push back. Take up a cross. It does not sound pleasant to me. Give up your life for me. So, Jesus, are you telling me that I need to stop trying to decide on my own what's right and what's wrong and who's good and who's bad and I should allow you to make those decisions? I don't know. You decide where I go. You take control. I've got to give up that control. See, I don't know if that's worth it to me. If I'm going to follow Jesus, then I'm going to have to truly love people, all people, See, I don't know if I want to do that. If I'm going to follow Jesus, then I'm going to have to do good things to people who do bad things to me. I'm not sure it's worth it. Time out, Jesus. If I'm going to follow you, are you telling me that I've got to be generous with my time and my resources? Because I don't have any extra time. And I don't really have any extra resources right now either. I don't know if it's worth it. If I put into this Jesus thing, what am I going to get out in the end? What's my return on investment going to be? And that's where we get sideways. 
That's where we get it wrong. Because we start asking the wrong questions. We're not asking what Jesus expects us to ask. I want to share a quote with you from N.T. Wright. He's a really smart guy. But he says this, Jesus insists that God thinks differently than we mortals think. God sees everything inside out. Or perhaps we should say, God sees everything the right way round, whereas we see everything inside out. Let me say that again. Listen very carefully. Jesus insists that God thinks differently than we mortals do. God sees everything inside out. Or perhaps we should say, God sees everything the right way round, whereas we see everything inside out. When we ask, is it worth it? When we ask, what will I get out of it? According to Jesus, what will I get out of it? It's the wrong question. That's asking the question inside out, not right way around. Look at the disciples after this. Just go home and read Matthew 16, 17, 18, 19. Judas Iscariot is in that group. He's not having any of it. He's not shorter on a cross. He's going to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus is arrested in the garden. All those disciples run. They scatter. Yeah, Peter tries to bow up for a little bit, but you know, before long he's denying around a fire that he even knew Jesus. They all bail on Jesus. Was it worth it? Following this guy, Jesus. Was it worth it? Being arrested. Maybe beaten. Maybe killed. And in that moment, they all decided, that's a hard no. <laughs> no. I don't think it's worth it. Not worth it to me. Not if it's going to cost that much. Their question was, what am I going to get out of this? But then something extraordinary happens. With the exception of Judas Iscariot. We see every one of those apostles giving up their lives for Jesus. Every single one of those men go all in for Jesus. To the point of, they end up martyring themselves for the cause of Christ. What happened? What changed? What made it worth it to them? I'll share with you John chapter 20, verse 19. This is the evening of the resurrection, by the way. This is the Sunday night of Resurrection Sunday. That evening, on the first day of the week, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. The disciples are together, they're hiding, they're behind locked doors. It doesn't seem like the return on investment is going to be worth it. And then suddenly the resurrected Jesus shows up. And Jesus has done exactly what he said he would do. He said, I'm going to be crucified, but in three days, I'm coming back. It's three days later, since the crucifixion, and here stands Jesus in front of them. And everything changes for the disciples. They start to process their lives and their reality through a resurrected Savior. 
And they start to come to grips with the fact that this reality doesn't just mean something to us. This means something to the entire world. I, I think we could say they begin to see things the right way around. And the question shifts from what will I get out of it to what will others get out of this? They begin to realize that this resurrected Savior isn't just here to change their lives. He's here to change the whole world. And they get to be a part of it. They get to follow this world changer. And everything changes for those men. And, and they remember something that Jesus said. They probably didn't understand it at the time, but, but they remember that something that Jesus said. John records it in John 10. Jesus told them, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. And my guess is the first time Jesus said that, the guys are looking around going, yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> I have no idea what he's talking about. I like the way the message uh, paraphrases that passage. I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. After the resurrection, they begin to understand what this more and better life really consists of. They are, start to understand a life that's better than they ever could have dreamed about. So every single one of his commands, every one of his rules, every one of his principles, every one of his promises, every single step that they take in following him, it's one agenda, one plan, one goal, that you could have a life better than you ever dreamed of. Jesus has a life that he wants to give you. He has a life that he wants to give you. We stand here with a life that we already have. <laughs> so we have a dilemma. Because in order to take hold of the life that he wants to give us, we're going to have to let go of the life that we already have. If we're going to take hold of the life that Jesus wants us to have, we're going to have to let go of the life that we already have. And that's a dilemma for us. And Jesus wants us to know, to the extent that you hold on to the life that you have right now, you're going to miss out on the life that I have for you. That's why he said, if you try and save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find true life. And he's not just talking about a full life. Of course, we understand he's talking about a forever life. He's not talking about a life that lasts a couple of decades. He's talking about a life that goes beyond the grave. It lasts through all of eternity. You know, you ask anyone who is all in with Jesus, and they'll tell you, yeah, my life is better, but I'm also better at life. You know, I'm a better person. And that's something that we continually run towards. This isn't a one-time thing. Don't ever stop losing your life to Jesus. Because he's continually inviting us the life that he has for us. That's why it's worth it. That's why it's worth it to follow Jesus for the first time or for the 500th time. Even when you know it's going to be hard. Even when you know it's going to cost you something. It's worth it. Why? Because Jesus wasn't here just to give us good advice. He didn't come just to be a life coach, give us somewhere to go on a Sunday morning to see how many rules we could keep or how many verses we could memorize. It goes way beyond that. Jesus wants something for you, not something from you. 
And we get confused about that sometimes. We think it's all about us. What I do, what I don't do, what I have to offer. I think those disciples realized it is all about Jesus. It's all about my response to what he has given and what he continues to give. It's all about my response to what he has done and what he continues to do in our life. Jesus wants something for you, not just something from you. That's why it's worth it. Listen, if you ever feel like being a follower of Jesus is costing you something, here's why. Jesus is trying to pry your hands off of something that's pretty good so that he can give you something that is amazing. We have this life, oh, this is a pretty good life. Jesus is saying, I want you to lose that life. I want you to give up what's pretty good. And I promise you, I will give you a life that you never could have imagined. But you're going to have to let go of what you're trying to control and the life you're trying to live on your own. You're going to have to let me take charge. He wants you to let go of the things that are fleeting so that you can grab hold of those things that are eternal. Because we are in the midst of a resurrected Savior. That's why it's worth it. Let me close this message with uh, some words from the Apostle Paul. And I actually think that, that Paul has the best explanation in this passage of why following Jesus is worth it. Probably should have opened with this passage, but I'm going to close with it instead. It's Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. By the way, Paul is in jail when he writes this. I once thought all those things that were so very I once thought all those things were so very important but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything is worthless when compared to the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I may have Christ and become one with him. Paul says, I traded one life for another. I traded an old life for a new life. And guess what this new life involves? Jesus. I get Jesus. And this Jesus life, Paul writes from prison, Jesus is worth it. He is 100% worth it. I'm in prison. I have no idea what's going to happen, but it's going to be bad. I know that. But Jesus is worth it. Paul says, I'm all in because I have a new life. I've let go of my old life. And this new life that I have is better than anything I could have imagined. This morning, what are you holding on to that's pretty good that Jesus wants you to let go of so he can give you something that is amazing? What are you settling for? What's keeping you from going all in on following Jesus? Is he worth it? He's the Christ, the son of the living God. He is absolutely worth it. We're going to sing a song of encouragement this morning. If in any way we can help you with something going on in your life, we can pray with you about something, uh, something you want to share with the, the family here at Bay Area, we invite you to come to the front. Let's go ahead and be standing. I'll sing.